That can get you killed. You need to be able to adapt. That is the essence of surviving. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. Well, everybody, you asked for it. You got it. More episodes where we answer Patreon's questions. It's a great way to cover several bite-sized topics in a fun and fast-paced way. And always remember, the only thing harder than planning for a disaster is explaining why you didn't. As we sit here and continue to talk about over these last few weeks, oh gosh, for the last few years, food shortages, inflation, cost increases. How do you get a hold of food that you know you're going to need when you're looking at bare shelves? That lasts for a really long time without a a lot of effort. Right. And you're looking at bare shelves or you're looking at shelves where the food is incredibly expensive. Look no further. Numana Foods. Encourage you to check them out at our website at prepping2-0.com. Click on friends and affiliates. Humana Food specializes in freeze-dried, last for 25 plus years food to put in your deep preps to make up for those deficits that we're seeing right now in our food chain. Encourage you to check them out at our website. Well, we're back to the I Miss America moment of the week, and this one is very disturbing. Um, This is not a partisan statement at all, but uh, President Joe Biden is an awful human being. And here's why. He joked about ice cream before addressing the nation about the Nashville shootings that killed three kids and three adults. If you think I'm making this up, go ahead and take a listen. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding. I'm not. That was horrible. So now we're going to go on to the top 100 items that disappear first. This comes from Bosnia Survivors. This list is available on our website, prepping2-0.com, under top 100 things. Number eight, manual can openers. Why would you need manual can openers? I don't Um, know. Read your book series. I know. 299 days. Manual can openers are featured prominently in the book as an example of something that everybody forgets about because everybody just does DoorDash, I guess, and they don't open up canned food. It's a very simple and inexpensive item. They're a dollar at the dollar stores, although now it's like the two to five dollar store. But anyway, that's due to inflation. Funny story about manual can openers. Uh, I was at the Olympia Washington dollar store. That's where I used to live, and that's where I wrote the books, and the books take place, 299 Days books take place in Olympia Washington, and I was at the dollar store, and I looked, and there were no dollar store manual can openers uh, on the shelves, and I asked the manager, I said, oh, what's, what's up with this? Why don't you have any can openers? And she said, it's so weird. We can't keep them in stock. They just keep flying off the shelves. To which I, perhaps vainly, assumed that it was because people were reading the books and buying manual can openers. You can't have too many of them. They're great to hand out. They're a dollar or whatever it is now. dollar twenty-five. Yeah. And so they're very inexpensive. You can hand them out. If you've ever been like I have, stuck out in the woods, lost with canned food and no can opener based on a true story. Yes, Glenn Tate is most certainly not perfect. Uh, there's nothing worse than knowing that your thirst and or hunger can be quenched had you only had a can opener, but you decided not to spend $1.25 and hand up a can opener. So do yourself a huge favor. There's perhaps no better example in the prepping world of an inexpensive, small space storage item that can save the day than a manual can opener. So there's also the fun example of Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher with their, oh, two, yeah. with their two dogs in their car in Moses Lake, Washington, which is a beautiful place, but along the highway there, it's kind of truck stop. It's in stop. the desert. Yep, it's hot. And it was the middle of summer and we had our two dogs and they were hungry. We hadn't fed mm-hmm. them because we're traveling and we had canned dog food at a truck stop, which is known for having things, things handy tools, items. yeah, that people need. You would think that you'd be able to find a can opener. Nope. We banged and we, 
what did we do? We took a screwdriver and wrenched those poor cans of dogs. Yeah. Our dogs probably have metal shards in their bodies. And we got dog food juice all over our hands, and that drove the dogs crazy. It was not good. So, yeah, can openers really handy. There's also, I want to just throw this out there. It's a military item. My yes. dad used to carry, they're like M something. P38. P38. So you can put on your keychain. They're about little, the size, a little bit bigger than a postage stamp. Yep, and they have a little tiny blade on them that folds over. And I remember my dad when I was a little kid sitting there going, er, 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 and opening cans with that thing when there wasn't a can opener. These are all good things. Reason of the week to be a Patreon. That would be all the stuff in the after show that you, as a non-Patreon, are currently missing, like this. Fill in the blank. My man is a love. Machine. Next. And I hear you say that often. Do you? Mm Mm-hmm. In my mind. See, that's what you're missing. So let's get into it. I wanted to set the stage. Today, we're going to talk about what you want us to talk about. We're going to answer Patreon's questions on a wide variety of topics. So we're going to get right into the first question, which I really appreciate um, this. So from Ray, he asks... Forgive me if you've discussed this before. I had attempted to write a manuscript once in the past, and like both of you, based on some of the characters of real-world people, including ones that I know. A friend had caught wind of this and asked if he was in the book. I said he was and shared a chapter he was featured in with him and a friend over dinner. I was proud of my work and didn't expect his strong negative reaction. He insisted the other friend read it, who laughed and said, yeah, that's you, all right. That friend hasn't spoken to me in over a decade. I'm now 20 plus chapters into my second attempt, but wonder what kind of reactions I might get from friends and family. Have either of you experienced unexpected negative side effects from your books? Go Glenn. That would include a divorce. Yep. uh, Which was due in no small part to my portrayal of my former wife in the books. Which was positive, actually. Which was actually, I thought, pretty positive. She disagreed. So that would be a strong reaction. There's that. Um, There were other friends that uh, were in the books and were not portrayed, I guess, as positively as people want. See, here's the problem with fiction. People who haven't written fiction, who just read fiction, have wild ideas about what writing fiction is all about. They assume, for example, because I guess they watch a lot of movies, the good guys are always positive and bad guys are always negative. There's always happy endings. And pardon the pun, but that is fiction, real fiction. That is fiction that is believable because it's based on real life involves people being either mostly good and a little bad or a little good and mostly bad or some kind of shade therein. And a lot of people don't appreciate that. And they don't understand that you as a writer need to kind of round edges and flatten curves and not just put everything out as it really is because quite candidly, reality is not as interesting as fiction with a little bit of flourish to it. So they don't like that. I had some negative experiences, although as Shelby alluded to, a lot of the people in the book that I really had legitimate beefs with, I actually made them sound better because I knew they would end up reading the books. And so I made them sound a little bit better. If I could do it over again, I would be more candid, but I'm not going to. So what what about you, Shelby? What are your experiences with this? If I may speak to Dr. Foxy. Former wife. Former wife of Glenn Tate. She never read the books either. Yeah. She never read them. She judged based upon a perception that was, and she never was willing to open up her mind and read the books and see the full story. And what I think is interesting and really quite sad is that Dr. Foxy, Honestly, if she read it to the end, it would have been amazing. And I said to you, Glenn Tate, years ago that this was a love letter to her. It was. It really was. And what a sad state. Anyway, so let's go on. So in my books, there are a few people that are based on true people. The one that's most notable is Floyd, the main character's father in the book. He is absolutely based upon my dad. And it's interesting. There's been a few occasions recently where people who've read my books have met my dad and they're like, yeah, that's him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can attest to <laughs> this. That's him. It's totally him. And he and I have a very close relationship. So that's very indicative. But most of the time in my books, I combined people. Yes. And um, Composite characters. I did composite characters because I, did I do like starkly different people? No, I chose characteristics out of two people that were very similar so I could have a well-rounded character because that's what you just spoke to. 
having a multidimensional person that's not 100% good or 100% bad because that's what people are like. Mm-hmm. And also having those characters that, at fr- and people say this, I hated the two girls that I call them the millennial mean girls in my books. That's what they are. Hate, hate, hate them. And then there's a twist where you, oh my God, I love them. Involving zip ties. Yep, involving zip ties. I'm going to leave it at that where people are like, I wanted to hate her. And then you're just like, yeah, go Mm -hmm. girls, you know, so. And that's good storytelling. And it's accurate storytelling Mm -hmm. because people are not one dimensional. Exactly. And your friends want you to portray them as one dimensionally perfect. So I'll say this though. People that I've absolutely put in my books, I've let them know. I remember I'd written my books and they were published. And then I told my dad and I warned him. I said, Dad, it might be difficult to read this and hear yourself reflected back in a fictional manner. So just talk to me about it if that upsets you. But I told him, I said, it's very positive. That's the kind of conversation I'm going to have with somebody I have extreme respect and I love dearly. For the other characters, like Sean Swanson is absolutely one of my characters. We consulted with him when I wrote about him. But anybody else, I kind of don't care what their feelings are. And for this person to have this reaction is really immature because honestly, no one's going to read your book and go, that's Bob. Oh yeah. my gosh, Bob, what a joke. I can't believe oh my God. Nobody reads. He was negatively portrayed in a fiction right. book. Oh, Nobody geez. Ca- unless you, the author, tell the world, like I just did about my father and Sean Swanson, this is this person over here. No one's going to know. And that's an incredibly immature reaction. Exactly. Um, there were about 350 named characters in the 299 Days series, and probably rough guess about half of them were real people or very, very close to real people. And so there was a lot of this. Anyway, now we go on to the next question, which is Brian. He has three questions in here, and Shelby, with your permission, I will start off Absolutely. on all three just for continuity. His first question is, what predictions does Dan the Food Guy have for 2023? The answer is... We don't know. And here's our relationship with Dan, the food industry guy. He tells us when something is going on that merits coming on the show. He's not going to come on the show and say, yeah, everything's like it was two months ago when I was on the show because he respects your time. So we have a great relationship with him. And he does indeed get a hold of us and say, hey, I'm seeing some trends for next summer that are going to be troubling. So if you don't hear from Dan, that means he has nothing to say. Is that accurate, Shelby? Absolutely. Okay. The next question is, what is the big thing that holds people back? This is also from Brian. Holds people back from getting their ham license, especially with the online courses now. It is so easy to get your license. With no license, you can't practice. And without practice, your comms plans will fail in an epic way. Brian could not agree more with you on every single point you make. I think the answer to what holds people back from their ham license is this, this amorphous, idea that ham radio means you have to like know about circuits and amps and ohms and other electronic terms that I can't remember now because I really don't know what they are. I think a lot of ham radio hobbyists have kind of subtly and directly told the world how really complicated ham radio is. And so only smart people like them can possibly do it. So don't try this on your own. It's sort of like a doctor saying, don't try heart surgery. Well, that would actually be different because that's actually good advice. Don't try heart surgery on your own. They make it out to be a bigger thing than it is. Of course, there's the PAM radio electronic flashcards, and that's pam-radio.com. Flashcards with links to equipment in them. It tells you everything you need to know about the practical side of ham radio. That's the P. It could either be practical ham radio or prepper ham radio. P works either way. So that is a great resource, and it will get people over the big mountain of complexity and defeat that they feel from ham radio. So there's that. And then the third part of Brian's question is, what are you stocking up on besides food? He says quality footwear, long underwear, rain gear, vehicle maintenance supplies, tools all have their place. The answer, Brian, is all of the above. Yes, I feel that we have stocked up on quite a variety of stuff. But as far as the timing goes, we have not been stocking up on stuff because we moved recently and relocated a metric ton of stuff (laughs) And uh, you thought I was going to say something bad, didn't you? I might have. Yeah. Metric ton of stuff. 
And we now need to organize it and find it and put it on shelves and do those sorts of things. That's what this spring, summer, and fall is going to be for. And so in all candor, we've not been acquiring stuff because I think while everybody has holes in their preps, we have all of the basic stuff that we need. So that's probably not the answer you were looking for. Okay, how about this? A great place to go to get a checklist of things other than food you should be stocking up on would be our top 100 list, Absolutely. which That's is on our I website. Yeah. Exactly. It's a great checklist. And there's some really thoughtful stuff in there that you would have never thought of unless you survived the Bosnian Civil War. And then you think about it and you go, well, that makes a lot of sense. And to add to that, the one thing that has really been a stark reminder to me, moving from Western Washington to Western Montana, such a difference in the climates. Yeah. In Western Washington, it's miserable and chilly cold, which you can be okay with. Western Montana, when we've had weeks, a week or two at a time at zero degrees, that's a life changer. Mm-hmm. That's life threatening. Very different prep. So part of that, the answer to that question, it depends on where you live. If you live in Florida right now, it's 100 degrees and you're wearing shorts and Crocs. Where we are right now, I've got wool socks on. So very different things to prep for. Before we go into the next question, I want to give an awesome shout out to our wonderful sponsors, Pro One Water Filters. Oh my gosh. Talk about checking something off your preps list, mm-hmm. getting your water uh, security put in order. Jared Savick, you can find him at redstate-realtors.com, specializes in prepping properties in Montana. Katie Armour, Backwoods Home Magazine. And of course, Minutemen Coffee powers shelby every weekend paul burke idaho realtor you can find him at first response realty.com powered by fathom realty gibbs firearms all of our sponsors plus many more you can find on our website at prepping2-0.com click on friends and affiliates and you will find also a whole lot of awesome coupon codes there you go our next question i will let shelby read it it's from jay powell he, which could uh, be he, he or she jay powell the secretary or the uh chairman of the Federal Reserve. Could be Jerome Powell. Could be. We don't know. He could be a Patreon. It could be a she too. Yeah. Or it could be someone other than the chairman of the Federal Reserve. That'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Anyway, how do you feel someone out to see what stage of preparedness they are in without revealing too much? At what point do you start to reveal preps, include them in your bug out plan, etc.? Wow. I have an answer to that, but you well, go then first. I think you should, no, you should go first. Well, I think it's, um, I, I do look. Well, I think of an answer. <laughs> yes. I, there are some key things that I'm looking for when someone says, because there's, the, there's kind of the homesteader prepper that's, that, that cans and puts up food and does the gardening thing. And then there's the, the kind of the political, I hate to say it, political prepper that's like, uh, yeah, China's starting to make some moves over there, and I'm kind of concerned about EMPs and, and things like that. So if you go, if there's, that's, those are two levels for me. Mm-hmm. People who live in rural communities generally are that homesteading kind of prepper, and they have food supplies. They have, they have, but when they start saying things like, yeah, did you see what happened in the news last week? And um, we're now going to start talking about more gun bans and things like that. They just rose to a li- different level. And then other things that are key indicators, if they have a ham license, um, that tells me more about their preparedness. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they, um, I think that's kind of it. That's what I'm looking for. And I don't give away anything that I'm doing in those conversations. They're giving away that in that conversation. I will give away a little bit, but I never, I mean, there's, it is a very tight group of people that know fully who I am, what I do and what's in my shed. Yes. I, I look at it not as much as a prepping thing. That sounds odd, doesn't it? But here's what I mean. I, I think people need to be trusted and trustworthy and vetted as people before they are trusted and trustworthy as fellow preppers, because the prepping thing is a detail. And the most important thing is that this person is trustworthy. That takes a lot of time. And by trustworthy, Essentially, I mean, is somebody going to sell you out? Is somebody going to turn you into the authorities when they say that people can't store food because it's, quote, hoarding? Is somebody going to turn you in for the food you have in order to get a free meal from the FEMA food trucks? That's what I'm talking about as far as trustworthiness goes. And that is something that takes a lot of time. It is a very 
Uh, it's a quantity time, not a quality time issue. You just spend a lot of time and you talk to people, you find out what topics rise to their, their level, uh, or rise to the, um, level of things that they want to converse about. Uh, if, if it's, if it's about fishing all the time, then that's cool. Um, if they start mentioning preparedness things, that's okay too, but it takes a lot of time. There is no substitute for taking time with people. There are no shortcuts on this. You have to get to know people in order to trust them to be, uh, worthy of learning about your prep, uh, preps. Exactly. I think that's a great answer. So I'm going to go on to the next one. The one toe cutter, the T-H-E-E, the mm -hmm. one toe cutter. I have so many questions. Mm -hmm. Wonders, what would you not want to do when you bug in? I have a great answer to that. Do not assume that you're going to stay bugged in. You need to be willing to, to leave. Here's a good example. Um, we remember back, let's say, three or four years ago when Paradise, California burned down. The entire town burned because of uncontrolled wildfires. That And it happened within moments. Like people were burned, trying to, burned alive, trying to escape. It was absolutely horrifying. And I remember looking at... Um, at a uh, post on social media about this woman saying, I lived in paradise, fire comes, takes out her entire home. And the one thing that was left standing in all of that, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, was her freeze dryer and all of her food and all of the things that she had prepped away. Because she said, I always thought people would be bugging in here. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that I would be having to bug out. So God bless her, one for surviving. But always, be, if you're bugging in, have a plan anyway, in case you have to bug out. I uh, could not agree more. I would just emphasize what you just said and say, the one thing you need when you bug in is a plan for bugging out. And I know that sounds a little bit contradictory on the surface, but it really isn't. There are all kinds of stories of, of people surviving real situations in which they adapted to the conditions instead of holding fast and, and there's a problem with, with preppers and it's a, it's a version of normalcy bias that afflicts preppers in particular. And that is, and I admit having suffered from this and probably still suffer from it, that is, I've got all this stuff. I've built up all these systems. Um, I've taken care of all this stuff and I have all these preps by golly, I'm going to write it out here because I can't imagine abandoning all of the stuff I've done and the time and the money it took to do it. And that can get you killed. You need to be able to adapt. That is the essence of surviving. So, so to add to that though, if you're bugging in, which I, you know, I, I'm going to say that's where Glenn and I are currently right now. We're, we're planning to bug in, but we also know that if we need to bug out, we have plans for that too. Um, and how to secure our place if, if need be. But I, honestly, I think like the example I just, just gave, a natural disaster is a game changer in all of that. If you have a flood come through, if you have a fire, if you have something come through, you, you may have no choice. The flood doesn't care that you have your um, yeah. food preps meticulously inventoried and organized. So... Um, we have so much more to talk about. We're just getting started. So, folks, we're going to take a little break right now, but um, we're going to talk more about who to trust, what are more physical assets, other things that uh, you, our Patreons, have asked us questions about. Don't go away. We'll be right back. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Without water, you're done in three days. Pro One water filters. It's literally a matter of life and wet. Pro One G 2.0 all-in-one gravity systems are NSF, ANSI 42 component certified. Not everybody can say that. No need for additional add-on filters to reduce fluoride. Pro One stainless gravity systems include a stainless steel spigot and a countertop stand for no additional cost. Pro One water filter gravity systems. Check them out at ProOneUSA.com. That's P-R-O-O-N-E. USA.com. Most tested, most trusted. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. 
body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for Come and Take It, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself and save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com, click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. In a tactical situation, your AR is your life. Gibbs Arms makes a sweet feature, the only side charger that can use a standard bolt carrier group with no modification. Gibbs makes them in 9mm, 5.56, and 308. In fact, Gibbs Arms has been granted eight patents for unique innovations. The company started back in 2008 when two Boeing engineers realized no one else made what they wanted. Take a look at their website and see all the ways Gibbs Arms can help you mod your AR. Gibbs with a Z, arms.com. That's G-I-B-B-Z-A-R-M-S dot com. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for rejoining us. We're just getting started answering Patreon's questions. To hear all of them, you need to stick around for the after show if you're a Patreon supporter. And there's the hilarious lightning round. Donald Trump has been indicted. There is going to be political instability in this country. By the left, the Rotary Club doesn't burn down cities, so it's not going to be the right doing it. But there's going to be political instability, potential for chaos, further division of the country. Why do I bring all this up? Because we here in America are not the only ones who notice this. Our enemies, primarily Iran, China, North Korea, and Russia, are all paying attention. And wouldn't this be a great time to strike with an EMP? It could happen. It would be the time to do it if I were them. So you need to have protection against EMPs. You need to have EMP shield, which is a device that protects whatever device you wire it into. You can learn all about them. You can just Google EMP shield and get all kinds of independent reviews. Don't just believe us. You can go to our website, prepping2-0.com, friends and affiliates tab, and get a coupon code and get yourself one or more EMP shield devices. Well, it's time for the Archive Dive. This is for all of our new listeners, and we have a bunch of them, who may not know that we go way back. We go back to 2018 on this show, and so we highlight one of our older episodes to let folks know it's out there and hopefully encourage them to go back and listen to them. You can listen to them for free on um, the prepping2-0.com website. There's a little search magnifying glass in the upper right corner, and you could... And Shelby loves it. I love it. I know. It's your favorite thing in the world. It is yours too. Why don't you marry it? 
No, oh, it's too bad. You're taken. Okay. But that little little magnifying glass will help you find because we have a lot of episodes. Yeah, we're on two hundred thirty-one yeah. today, as a matter of fact. So episode fifty-one, we had Special Forces Ted, the real Green Beret, the real friend of mine, Green Beret friend of mine. And I say that not to imply that I'm a Green Beret. I've never been in the military. I think stolen valor is a really crappy thing to do, and I am very explicit in not doing it. But anyway, Special Forces Ted was the inspiration for the character in the book, Special Forces Ted. And he gives amazing interviews. He will tell you things that'll blow your mind. And I just felt like I had this unique opportunity to have a friendship with a really smart, really experienced Green Beret and fellow prepper. And I thought it would be great to let other people hear what he had to say instead of just our conversations over breakfast on Saturday mornings. Um, it would be something everybody could share. So that's episode 51. I encourage folks to go back and listen to the archives. Very good. So we want to get into our next question here. I got to jump back to where we were. So Star Friedel asked a similar question. What's the best way to set up trust that includes guns, prepping stuff? I'm going to go kind of back to what we said mm -hmm. before. Gun stuff, I'll say this too. I don't tell anyone. I let them tell me their gun situation. And then I adjust from there. And I'll say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm pro-gun. I know how to defend myself. And I keep it really general until that trust is really, really built. What are your thoughts? I have two thoughts. One is my Washington thoughts, and the second is my Montana thoughts. In Washington State, you had to be very, very careful who you told about guns because a whole lot of guns are now illegal in Washington, oh, magazines time. in particular. Gotten, I'm going to let you know, I've gotten all the emails too, people asking us specifics about that, and I can't keep up with them. Sorry. Yeah. So you have to be very careful in a blue state who you trust with this information. In Montana, where we don't have unreasonable gun laws, and Everybody has a ton of guns. Sound a trumpet fanfare effect. We have the most guns per capita in the United States right here in Montana. Way to go, Montana. So here, it's not like you're letting any cat out of any bag when you say, right. exactly. I have a bunch of guns. In Montana, the only notable thing would be if somebody said, I don't have any guns. And everyone would say like, well, why? I mean, there are bears walking down our streets. I mean, why wouldn't you have guns? So two different answers based on where you live. Let me give an example here. So we there's a friend of ours that we know from church, and he moved here years ago from California. And he, um, when he lived in California, was very um, meticulous about buying ammo, securing it, preserving it, like um, mm -hmm. vacuum sealing it. And he had thousands of rounds when he moved here. And he always felt yeah. kind of like he had to be sneaky about it. And then he told the neighbor, yeah, I've got this many, I'm gonna just make up a number. I don't remember the number. I've got like 10,000 rounds. And this new neighbor to him said, yeah, that's a good start. Yep, exactly, that's so Montana. So it depends on where you live. And I absolutely agree with Glenn. If you live in a blue state, you need to keep mum. And that is trusted, trusted information. If you live in a red state like Montana, where constitutional carry, where you are not prosecuted for defending yourself, you know, fill in the blanks. You can be a little bit more free, but I'd still keep it kind of close to the chest because the wrong person can find out you have firearms and then your house becomes a target. Exactly right. And you don't need that. Next question comes from JB. He or she asks, what other physical assets do you recommend getting other than gold, silver, food and ammo. Those are the big four, to Those be quite big, honest. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to think about this. Yeah. It's not like you can stockpile crude oil. Um, that's kind of impractical. I think that about covers it. I know that people want us to have great answers. Well, here are the 19 things you never thought about. I don't think when it comes to this, there are 19 things no one's ever thought about. I think it's basically these four, maybe gasoline, but it's kind of tricky to store. It goes bad after about a year unless you put Stabil or some other fuel preservative in. And I don't highly recommend storing a lot of gasoline because it's kind of a dangerous thing to do. That's about it. I have one potential okay. and it's gotten extremely expensive in the last years. I would recommend the little Coleman cans of propane. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the behind the scenes question to this is all of these things, not only are they valuable, but they're barterable. Mm -hmm. Cans of propane are kind of those little single servings where you can do some bartering for something that will be highly valuable. Mm -hmm. So that's about, it. if you're looking for that kind of thing, otherwise everything, 
the clothes, the underwear, the sleeping bags, the blankets, the, the, the all of those things. All the things all on the, things. the list of the top 100 things that go the soonest. That would be, as we mentioned earlier, a fantastic checklist for other physical asset things to have. Some of those things on the list are cheaper and are longer lasting, you know, manual can openers. Uh, they don't take up a lot of space. And so you can target the things on that list that you want to stock up on to be barterable or useful yourself. But you can't beat that list of the top 100 things that go the soonest. And by the way, gold, silver, food and ammo are all on that list. So I'm going to go to the next one that's from 7 Delta Mike. I'm going to assume 7 Delta Mike is a guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. He asked, I would be interested in seeing how you have utilized your freeze dryer. I just got one not too long ago. Any lessons learned now that you have had yours for a few years would be helpful to the newbies like me. I would also be interested in the whole system, like the pieces and parts people don't realize is essential or useful once you get a freeze dryer. Personally, I didn't realize how much you need to think of how you are going to pack the food when it is done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for all the great info you share on the show. So I'm going to jump right in here. Is Please that okay? do. So first of all, we have not freeze dried, just so you know, seven delta mic, probably a year and a half or two years because we moved. Our freeze dryers have not been set up. That is one of the things that will happen this summer because it's got to, because mm-hmm. I got to freeze dry eggs. It's requiring some new wiring mm-hmm. in the building in which they will be because they use- We have large ones that require- yeah, a particular kind of plug that requires some sort of wattage or amperage or something. It requires a little bit heftier electricity mm-hmm. and Harvest Right tells you that. So we need to get that going. And that's one of the things that's going to happen this summer because I got to do some eggs here. So two of the things that I would say you need to know ahead of time if you're getting a freeze dryer, you hit on one of them, how to package your item. So, Because once you take something out of the freeze dryer, especially when we lived in Western Washington, there's moisture in the air. And if they start taking in moisture, you now have a bad batch. You literally need to take it out and put it in a package and you need to vacuum seal it and take the oxygen out. So 100%. 100%. So one of the funny things that happened to us at the time when we were freeze drying a lot is we accidentally, right before COVID, bought a double batch, a double bulk batch of Mylar bags. And then Mylar bags went poof during COVID. And they're Mylar bags. This is an important distinction. Mylar bags that are capable of being vacuum sealed. Not all vacuum, right. or pardon me, not all Mylar bags are capable of having the air sucked out of them. They need little channels in them, like a regular vacuum seal bag, mm-hmm. just made out of clear plastic. And yeah, it was a huge mistake. It was like $200 at the time. And uh, so glad we made it. <laughs> now we have, I think, like 500 of them oh, or yeah. something. Oh, yeah. We use them all the time. So, so you got to do that. You got to package it. You know, the best place to start with everything you're wondering about 7 Delta Mike, and for every listener listening, the best place to start on this topic is the episode we did. It's in the 40s. I want to say episode 42. Shelby will look on the search feature that she loves so much. I'm going to, yep. And so we did it back in 2019. It's everything you need to know about food freeze dryers. She mentioned she referred to Harvest Right. That is the company that makes by far the best, most prevalent, most common food freeze dryer. I don't know if anyone even attempts to compete with them. So that's the place to go and get all the information about it. It is a fantastic resource. Yes, dear. So it is um, episode 47. So it goes way, it was like pre-COVID when we recorded that. All of that show is great for newbies to freeze drying. The other thing I would suggest people look at, there's some accessories that I bought from a secondary company called Frozen Right. The one thing I I spent money, nothing at that website is free, but they do do drawings every now and then. Basically some freezer trays, a way to pre-freeze trays. This is huge. Before I put them in the freeze dryer. So when I And can, the trays fit in the f- harvest right, they're designed to fit mm-hmm. in there. They're they're designed to fit harvest right trays, stack them in there. And so I can I can I can have something in the freeze dryer, let's say five trays, because I have a large one, five trays in the freeze dryer, five more ready to go when those come out. And why is it that you have such a head start on freeze drying when you've already frozen them? Because it takes about, it takes the freezing process off of freeze drying. Right. It's just the drying process. It's just essentially the drying process. Cuts the processing time in about half, if and I it, recall. Yeah. Really nice that way. And I, and I think it turns out better. When you're able to pre-freeze, I think your finished product turns out better because it has less moisture in it. So those 
that those are not cheap. I'm going to tell you this right now, not cheap at all, those trays. Or there's other ways, if you go looking out on some of the forums out there, other ways to kind of create your own kind of stackable trays to pre-freeze, but pre-freezing is huge. And as with everything else, you know what I'm going to say, system. there's a system. And it needs to start with conceptualizing what you're going to do with the food freeze dryer. And the starting point for that is, do you have extra food that needs to be preserved. I guess you could go to, you know, uh, cash and carry or whatever and get number 10 tins of chili and freeze dry chili, but why not just leave it in the can? It's going to last a long time anyway. So what food freeze dryers are really good for is taking surpluses of foods. And that often is garden items, uh, fruit, uh, that that you grow Meat. It, uh, hunting and fishing and all kinds of surplus foods. And by the way, you don't have to grow them slash harvest them yourselves. If you've got a neighbor that's got an apple tree and all those apples just fall on the ground every fall and spoil, you can grab all those apples. Now there's a surplus. Now you can preserve them. So it starts with figuring out what it is you're going to freeze dry because these food freeze dryers are not inexpensive. No. They're probably three, 4,000 bucks. Yep. So you've got to really think about whether it's going to be worth it. And in our case, it is, I think most listeners case, it would be. So you figure out what you're going to food freeze dry. You figure out where you're going to put it. Um, it needs to be level and a bunch of other stuff. You can go on the, on the YouTubes and find all of that out. You need to have the electrical system that can handle it. It's not that expensive to get upgraded from a normal plug. It's a couple hundred bucks. By the way, don't try that on your own. Get an actual electrician. I'm not a big fan of following rules and directions, but it when it comes to electricity, I am. So you got to take care of that. Then you have to, as you were alluding to, seven Delta Mike, you have to figure out how to package this stuff because you can't just throw it in a Ziploc bag. It needs to be in, at a bare minimum, a clear vacuum sealed bag, but preferably, far preferably, preferably more, more preferably. No oxygen. That's No oxygen. You should, you should figure out a way. It's not required, but it's a good idea to have oxygen absorbers and how you pull them out of their little bag and put them in and close the bag so they don't fluff up with oxygen basically is something you'll need to look up. So that's part of your system. Then the Mylar bags and then, you know, the tubs you put them in, you know, you keep them dark. Um, Mylar helps with that. So there's all these aspects to it that you have to think through before you do it. Don't be the kind of person that, you know, goes to a pet store and sees a cute puppy and says, I'm going to get a cute puppy. And then there are all kinds of things like, you know, uh, the messes dogs make, the food they make, the vet bills. Do the cats like them? Do the other dogs like them? Are there coyotes in the neighborhood who are going to eat them? You have to think about things systematically. And that is very true of food freeze dryers. That being said, they're totally worth it. If you've got a surplus of food, it is the best way to preserve food. It lasts 25 plus years. It is light as all get out, so you don't have heavy tubs. And if you are moving with this this stuff, it's very light. It tastes really good, super easy to prepare. You just add water, preferably hot water. You don't need to cook stuff. It's already been cooked. I mean, it is the absolute best way to preserve food. The only knock on food freeze drying is the high cost. But once you can pencil your way through that, you're golden. Well, and to add to all these things, I'm, I'm feeling, because we're going to start firing up our freeze dryers here soon. I'm sure I everyone's heard the funny. I see another show coming on about oh, yeah. freeze dryers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, I think with what's happened with COVID and our um, food chain issues over the last few years, first of all, Harvest Right had a boom. They had like a delay in yeah. fulfilling orders for months during COVID and post-COVID. Um the more food goes up at the grocery store, the more it will be practical and and pencil out financially to buy one and preserve excess from your property. I absolutely think that's what's happening. So just I'm, I'm pro this. But yeah, this is not a simple purchase. Please think through all the things. So let's get on. Go. Oh, go ahead. One final thought on food freeze drying. And it's important. That is it's fun. Oh my gosh, it is yeah. an absolute blast to see how food turns out. You will be absolutely amazed 
at how good and flavorful it is. The other thing I didn't mention about food freeze drying is you retain all of the nutrients. Yes. You don't, you don't, and when you cook in hot water or can, I should say. You lose that. You lose a lot of the, the good stuff. And so it's fun. And it, it, I got into it. Shelby really got into it because she was the primary food freeze dryer. But it is fun, and y- you start doing Skittles and banana slices and taking them to work, and people go, oh, my goodness, this is the best thing ever. It's I, a lot of fun. This is why I'm thinking we have another show. Being yes. Okay, so two things. When you can food, that's good for about three to four years. Freeze drying is 25 years. So there's that. The second part, when you think about freeze drying, there's two – products that come out of that there's you're going to freeze dry something and then you're going to eat it in the freeze-dried form like for example when i freeze dry scrap meat for dog treats i'm not going to reconstitute that so there's things that you will freeze dry that you don't reconstitute and then there's things that you freeze dry that you will reconstitute with hot water that's the scrambled eggs that's the that's the that's everything skittles i'm not going to reconstitute no so there so just know that there's two mindsets with that and people sometimes get confused by that if i freeze dry this am i going to reconstitute it or am i going to kind of eat it in this i'm not going to reconstitute bananas Banana freeze-dried banana chips are too delicious to do that, nor would that be practical. Okay, so let's move on. Yes, go ahead. Next one. So, gosh. Donald Shoemaker. Donald Shoemaker asks, long-time listener, first-time question asking, welcome, Donald. Yes, thank you. Of all the shows I've listened to, I don't remember if you have addressed the topic as to what what got you started to prepping with to begin with, and then what got you interested in writing your books? I'd be interested to know if you have similar stories. Was it a book he read like one second after or Survivors? Thanks for all the shows. I really appreciate it. Maybe at some point I'll get up to Montana for your summer event. That would be cool. Well, so this is a great question, and this could be a long, but I think uh, very interesting answer. What got me started with prepping was I grew up uh, in the country, and I had all these country boy skills, and I lost them all by being a suburban slug and uh, being a lawyer and living the whole suburban life. And then I realized how fragile the economy and society was Uh, It really hit me when I went to a grocery store and I went out back and there was a loading dock and I watched all these semi trucks pulling in and unloading little boxes. And by little, I mean, it was less than the contents of the uh, semi trucks of, you know, different stuff. And then they would leave. And then I realized that the supermarket doesn't store food. It just has shelves with like ready to sell food. There was no storage facility. And I thought, pretty obvious thought, well, what if those trucks can't roll down the freeway for a variety of reasons? No diesel fuel, they're getting robbed, their drivers aren't getting paid, um, the government has shut down the highways, whatever it may be, there's water over the highways, you can't drive. How, you've only got like a day or two of food in supermarkets. And that got me really thinking. So that was why I started with preparedness. Um, What got me interested in writing my books? Um, Well, uh, nothing in pitch. It wasn't as purposeful as that. I, and this is the famous Easter bunny story. I'll tell because it's getting near Easter. Reflective of your marriage. Yes. So the Easter bunny story is uh, after I went to the truck loading dock and realized that needed to stock up on stuff, Um, My spouse at the time, not my current wife, was very antagonistic to the whole idea. And so I needed to have an explanation for her about why when stuff broke loose, all of a sudden, all this stuff that I'd been storing in a storage unit showed up at our house, you know, the, the food and the ammo and all the other stuff. And so I realized she needed to save face because that's the honorable and polite thing you do. I wasn't trying to start an argument because think about the setting of this. There's been a terrible event and there's all kinds of prepping stuff that needs to be done. Is now the time when you decide to say, I told you so? I think not. So I had to have an explanation for how all the stuff showed up. So I came up with the Easter bunny story and that was my plan was to say, dear, look what the Easter bunny brought and let's, go on and do what we need to do. Here's why the Easter Bunny brought this stuff, got this stuff, and here's what we're going to do with it. Well, I realized the Easter Bunny speech was the perfect explanation for why to prep and what to do once there's an event that means you need to use your preps. And so I thought, 
I would, on a little post-it note, do a little bullet point thing, because as Shelby knows, I'm the king of post-it notes. I use, I use hundreds of them a year. And so I, I penciled out the bullet points and I looked at this, the, these bullet points, and it was the perfect rationale, as I say, for prepping. And then I thought, well, I should write it into a one-page thing because this was going to be an important speech I was going to give. This is like at a crossroads of your marriage. This could be maybe if things, if this conversation doesn't go right, you may be going through this calamity on your own. So I wanted to get it right. So I turned it into a one-page thing and then a two-page thing. And then I decided, well, this would be interesting. I've never written fiction before, but I'll just like put some dialogue in here and I'll put it up on a, on a survival forum uh, that I was on and it'll help people. It'll be kind of a nice little post, short post. And then uh, I realized I had to write an entire chapter to explain why I was coming at it from the angle I was and why my then wife was so resistant to it. So I became one chapter and then I needed two chapters. And by the time it was all said and done, it was 4,000 pages, 10 books, 90 hours of audio. So it wasn't like I sat down to write a book. It started off with a post-it note and it turned into 10 books that were published by the first publisher I sent it to. And I'm very proud of that because I didn't expect this to ever become a book, let alone one that has been as popular as it was. So now Shelby can answer this. I think we'll probably end up taking some yeah, of the well, answer into the after show, absolutely. but it's a great question. Great question. So what got me started, honestly, and, and you're right, Donald, we have talked about it, but it's been a long time. It so has. if you're a new listener, welcome. What got me started was um, uh, Hurricane Katrina. At the time Hurricane Katrina happened, I lived in Portland, Oregon. And um, I remember watching news footage out of Katrina where um, news footage shoved this microphone in a guy's face. And he is like, you know what? We're good. We've got some canned food. We've got a propane stove. We're good. All of you rescuers go on to the next house and help those people who really need it. So this guy was legitimately prepared and was able to take care of himself and his family with his preps. Microphone in the next guy's face. Nothing but complaining. I've paid for my insurance. I pay my taxes. Why isn't somebody coming here right now to help us out right now? And long story short, I wanted to be the first guy. If something happened to my family, I wanted to be able to provide for them. Second thing was watching the exploiting of human trafficking um, during collapses, specifically at the time. I'm not going to say it right. Venezuela? Mm -hmm. I said it right. The human trafficking that came out of that collapse um, was horrifying, and it's what happens during a collapse. And I hit on both of those points in my books, and that's what inspired me. It was not another fiction book. So that's my short story to add to that. Um, we are going to go into the after show here in just a moment, but um, why don't just say, folks, great questions. And oh, we're only getting started. I want to encourage you to become a patron because there's some pretty humorous ones coming up as well. But as always, we always like to close with a famous quote from our wonderful founding father, Benjamin Franklin. Folks, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week. Adios. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.